Welcome to another episode of The Bloom Podcast. I'm your host, Magenta, and today we are here with Joshua Fields from Consciousness Hacking. They are producing a conference in May in San Francisco, and we're going to hear all about it. Joshua will also explain what Consciousness Hacking is, how he got involved, and how you might find it an enjoyable thing to explore. We also get into an amazing discussion about the role of consciousness hacking in the transformation of civilization. As always, if there are any other guests you'd like us to interview here, anything related to the broad spectrum of regenerative cultures, hit us up at community at bloomnetwork.org. And if you would like to support this show, please leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play and make a donation via our website bloomnetwork.org. Happy listening, and thanks for dorking out with me. Welcome, Josh. Hey, good to be here. So first, what is Consciousness Hacking? Consciousness Hacking is a global community that's in around 50 cities globally, uh, with working at the intersection of human consciousness and modern technology. So we operate as a nonprofit organization based here in the Bay Area. Uh, with chaps all over the place from Beijing to Bangalore to Tel Aviv. And really we're looking at how can we start to leverage technology and service? How can we start to build tools and devices that actually elicit higher states of being rather than the current uh, dopamine feedback loops that we see in our current devices, which really take us away from the more uh, profound and deeper human experience. Thank you for connecting community in that space. I'm really looking forward to diving more into the details with you throughout the next hour here. Can you tell us a little bit about the conference that you have coming up, the Awakened Futures Summit? Sure. So we are hosting our first ever two-day conference uh, looking at, it's called the Awakened Futures Summit, like you said, and we're looking at the intersection points of psychedelics, technology and meditation. So up until now, these domains have been relatively separate silos. So people might not, if you have a meditation practice, you know, you're kind of a slightly different community to the psychedelic community. And really what we're trying to do is we're bringing together thought leaders, visionaries, entrepreneurs, researchers, uh, to see who is beginning to combine these silos. So for example, how is technology being used to enhance meditation practices? Uh, how are meditation practices being used to help integrate a psychedelic experience? Uh, and how are we actually uh, bringing together uh, the psychedelic experience and putting it into a technological capacity? So over the two days, we're bringing together about 400 people, really the leading edge of all these intersections. So guys like, Adam Gazeli, who's at UCSF, Jamie Wheel, uh, all the way to like Eric Davis of the psychedelic world. And it's going to be a super special conference. And okay, I can give some more details, but that's the, the brief headline overview. Beautiful. And I'm really excited to be there with you all. Um, I'm excited to have you. <laughs> and with consciousness hacking, you guys are you're using technology tools like brain computer interfaces and neurofeedback stuff right 
Yeah. Okay. So this is this is a good question. So when someone says, "Well, what what is a consciousness hacking tool?" So most people will have probably heard of Headspace, which is really using technology to introduce people to something like meditation. So if you think of an exponential curve, Headspace is at the very, very, very beginning of that horizontal. It's like the most basic, primitive, uh, and highly effective consciousness hacking technology in the space. Uh, as we get further up that cur curve in terms of complexity, potency, uh, potential for scale, you get things like neurofeedback, uh, virtual reality, augmented reality. But why I'm interested in the space is not so much currently what we have, but rather what we could build in the future. Um, so there's some really interesting explorations of like what's called ultrasonic neuromodulation, which is putting ultrasound in low doses through a certain part of the brain that can really reduce self-ruminative thought. There's uh, photobiomodulation, which is basically like putting uh, red light uh, into certain parts of the brain. And all of these things are essentially slowly or subtly testing uh, one state and hopefully stage of consciousness. And I can get into that distinction later on. But uh, yeah, so there's pretty basic devices just now, uh, but we're much more profound impacts on how people experience reality once they start to use this hardware and software. Amazing. So what what brought you into this? I imagine people have a bunch of different entry points into why they're into this. So um, I'm curious how you got into it and also what are you seeing kind of the range of why other people tend to find their way to the consciousness hacking community? Sure. From a personal lens, so my background is, is in the field of finance and I've historically lived a very rational and intellectual life. And as I started seeing uh, the route to happiness wasn't in how, what I achieved or what I, what I owned, but rather was a function of how my mind was working. I started to really dive into things like meditation practices, lucid dreaming practices, and feeling extremely profound shifts in how I experienced my life, my relationships, uh, my sense of self. The issue with that is I went quite a, I started super, super rational, and then I started getting into this funkier, esoteric stuff. And then, you know, I'm, I went to India and did all the, the, the relatively hippie things that are become somewhat new age cliches. And then I realized that I don't really belong at that side of the polarity either. It's very ethereal, very, uh, a lot of it is quite ungrounded. Um, these cliches are here for a reason because, you know, there's, there's a, lot of, uh, a lot of new age hocus pocus magic thinking. And so I came to this point, okay, well, is there any community in the world that is actually trying to integrate the head and the heart, the mind and the soul? Uh, and consciousness hacking is really bang on that integration. I was like, oh, these people are using rational, logical, empirical thinking, and yet they're coming at it from a place of wisdom. And so that was me. It was a kind of sensing, trying to integrate a duality is one way of putting it. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that journey. And that was a good distillation of uh, the New Age Hocus Pocus. Thanks for that one.
Yeah, and I think a lot of people share that uh, when, in regards to the second part of your question, share that sentiment of trying to integrate the head and the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, are pe- do people find their way from it from um, maybe both sides of that polarity? Not that everyone falls into that polarity, but I'm curious if some people come more from the kind of the technical and rational side, and some people come from more of a um, a heart-centered or maybe even using plant psychedelics and then they're interested in connecting with um, or, or direct meditation and are interested in connecting more with learning about, for example, the, the neuroscience side of it or how people are um, using kind of Western psychological research to understand more deeply. Do people come from kind of both sides? Yes, and trying to think into... Uh, the the relative weighting uh, it's very hard to say if you come to a conscious attacking event you've got a lot of there, there's heart based people there and there's also people who are you know studying like like neuroscience and phenomenology and uh, the much more kind of philosophical and heady things so it's both yeah, I'm I'm so excited to finally make it to one of your events. I've been meaning to for years, and I've been living out here in the woods. Um, so I imagine being at a consciousness hacking event at the different cities that you have, the meetups, is just a really like beautiful, fascinating um, intersection of people and community building. Yeah, I, I I do wonder about cultural contingency. Like, I mean, I've never I've not been to our our chapter meetups in say Tokyo, which we've got our, our first one actually in two weeks. Uh, and I, I do wonder what, how that would inform. Uh, what is the more? Do you know the, the the notion of a morphic field? Yes, I do. Uh, you you might explain it because I'm not sure all of our listeners do. Sure. So the morphic field is it's was formed by a Cambridge biologist called Rupert Sheldrake, and the idea is that nature has an inherent memory that is not necessarily spatially located. So uh, the idea is that you can teach rats a skill in Australia and rats in London or in Tokyo then subsequently learn that skill faster than they would have before. You might say, well, how is that possible? Like, you know, the, the rats in Australia and the rats in London were completely separate geographically. And Sheldrick's hypothesis, speculative hypothesis, I might add, this has never been proven, but it's uh, getting a lot of traction, is that the rat species has a kind of collective species memory. And so each location has its own kind of a vortex that happens around it. And so when I say like a, a conscious attacking morphic field, like I wonder what is the intelligence that surrounds each chapter location? Um, and if it's different in each yeah yeah I often wonder if consciousness I I guess morphic fields are also interspecies for example the way that we do research with rats um, and how that kind of intersects with the development of technology and AI and marketing tools for example it's it's interesting to me how inevitably I think that influences how we shape human behavior as well, like the, the way we have these relationships with the animal and plant species. Mm-hmm. That's kind of like diving into the deep end of um, like yeah. looking at what is the nature of consciousness on this planet and in the cosmos. But um, 
maybe we'll uh, zoom back a, a little yeah, less. I get, yeah, yeah, I get excited <laughs> going into those abstract rabbit holes. That's the rational part of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we have time to explore some rabbit holes in this conversation. We have, we have time to, to, to explore the, the nature of reality. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what is the next, aside from the conference, do you guys have another local meetup scheduled? Um, like what are examples of, uh, specific meetups that you had? Like you guys just had one in San Francisco, right? We had one last night. Yeah. Uh, with a guy called Mickey McManus, who is a pioneer in this field of human centered design. And it was an absolutely phenomenal event. It was really, I mean, some, you know, you know yourself, some events, you know, people are really dropped in. Some people, some events, people are kind of less, less engaged with the speaker. This was a really good event. And uh, it was really around um, how technology is uh, taking advantage of some very basic human biases. And so we had to, as a collective, Mickey gave out a sheet of something like 200 cognitive biases that we all suffer from. And we had to think of ways of how do we hack, how might we hack that bias if it were to show up in our life. So for example, there's a bias called Parkinson's Law of Triviality, which is basically this idea that if you as a team have to solve a really big, large problem, and there's a smaller problem also to solve, you end up spending significantly more time on the smaller problem because it's lower hanging fruit. So the idea is like, if you have to make a decision about a nuclear power plant or what uh, color the bike shed is going to be in the office, people end up spending more time think, talking about the color of the bike shed. And so there's all these biases that are very intrinsic within human nature. It's really like shortcuts, revolutionary shortcuts, right? Uh, and the event last night was, well, how might we transcend these? How might we categorize these? How might we uh, design technology so that it doesn't take advantage of these uh, fallacies in human cognition? So that's one example. And uh, we also do community building, so much more kind of heart-based stuff. Uh, last week we had an experiment on connection, which was around authentic relating. So yeah, we, we speak to really two pieces of the human uh, experience. One is Again, one is the head and, and one is definitely the heart and connection. That's so, so beautiful. That makes me wonder a little bit about the, I mean, I think some of what you look at with the head is also body in terms of neurotransmitters and our biology and, um, you know, how all of that stuff is wired in our bodies. And um, I'm curious, in the exploration of consciousness, do you guys ever interface with indigenous elders, especially if you're um, dealing with psychedelics, for example? Um, I know myself learning from, for example, Shipibo people and how long they've been exploring consciousness and in relationship with psychedelic plants or, um, you know, hosting an event in the United States or other places and um, the indigenous people and their, the way that their consciousness is intimately connected with land, for example, is that something that's ever um, like folded in with what you guys are doing or with like tangential, you know, development in any of these related spaces, like the 
the technology or psychological research and that kind of stuff. Well, funnily enough, if you, I mean, if we, we'd love to have some sort of elder representation at the conference who is working on two of these three categories. We found it quite hard to locate because as you know, like if you're, uh, if your wisdom tradition is indigenous from the technology or even the meditation side. Uh, so if you do know anyone who might be a good representative for this, these traditions, we'd, we'd really love to host them and, and have them as our guests because <clears throat> these, these people are the carriers of, uh, I feel, a way of knowing that has been lost. And really what we're doing is we're building these exponential technologies without, you know, with an exponential complexity curve, without a proportionate exponentiality in the wisdom curve. Uh, and so we, there's an implicit importance regarding the uh, place of indigenous wisdom, but we don't uh, explicitly have much of it integrated in the community. And yet yeah, that is something that we would love more of. There's a group in San Francisco called Erie, the Entheogenic Research Integration and Education Group. I know when I talked with Josh Meadows, he is connected with them through the Decriminalized Nature Initiative. They're doing to legalize plant and fungi-based entheogens. Are, are you also connected with that crew? I'm not, but I've heard of them, and I know Josh is connected. The other Josh is connected with them, yeah. Um, they are the kind of organization in the Bay Area that first comes to mind with being connected with that. Um, I could also ask, um, there's an Alaskan Aleut person in the Bay Area that I know who, they actually just hosted an indigenous arts hackathon somewhere in the North Bay. Um, so I might ask him as well if he has connections that would be interested in connecting with you all. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be really great. Um, yeah, thanks for your fascinating response to that too. I really appreciate the way that you language things and your range of like detail and complexity and connectedness in the concepts that you're exploring. And you yourself did a podcast for a while that seems to go into a lot of philosophy. Is that something that you also have a background in? Or was that part of when you kind of swung the other direction from being rational and in the sounds like more mainstream finance world? Did you kind of naturally go into exploring different philosophies to kind of integrate your experience? So I'm currently finishing off uh, a master's at the moment in a program called Philosophy, Cosmology and Consciousness. Oh, right. So, yeah. So I had, I didn't have a background in philosophy, but funnily enough, I studied economics at university. And for my final two years, I would always spend it in the philosophy and theology section. Like I was always fascinated. Uh, and it was only, you know, once when I left my banking job that I allowed myself to fully, fully surrender to that passion. Uh, and yeah, I, I think it, I bring a relatively unique perspective 
from a philosophy standpoint uh, into the consciousness hacking space. There's a lot of techies uh, and I feel like the philosophical and ethical dimensions of well, what are we doing with these tools? Like what are the, what are the ethics of neuro hacking? Uh, and like, where are we going? Like, what, what are we doing? Uh, really uh, has, I, I've, I've had access to these types of questions through my masters. Uh, and it's been an amazing experience. I was very drawn towards Eastern philosophy, and I think anyone who's had a deep contemplative practice kind of goes towards that Advaita or slash Buddhist slash Tantra, whatever you want to call it, um, whatever your uh, calling is. Uh, and so I was there for a few years, and yet I'm being drawn more and more back to Western philosophy predominantly because uh, we have to understand that the way that our, our minds are constructed in capitalist Western civilization is contingent upon a kind of uh, synthesis of Judeo-Christian Greek uh, ways of knowing and ways of thinking. And so if we want to move forward in the world, and we, you, there's a great quote, I forget the author's name, but um, trying to plan for the future without knowing the past is like trying to plant cut flowers. That, that we have to be informed by the past if we want to make uh, appropriate and uh, accurate decisions uh, about the future. Well said. Yeah. And very on point for my personal journey as well um, in being part of Bloom Network and some of the kind of cross-cultural work that's involved with that has been being aware of uh, and learning more about my own ancestry, for example. And I've recently also kind of hit upon I should read more Greek philosophy because um, mm. I'm, I'm noticing some of the same things that you're describing, for example. Well, this is the thing, like things that we think of as, we think of as, as givens uh, are actually culturally, con like, culturally contingent. And this is like, I don't want to yeah. jump into this like postmodern deconstruction critique because that has its own shadow radical left uh, stuff associated with it but there's a lot of contingency that we are kind of blind to because it's so integrated and embedded within our language and within our institutions that we don't even know it's there it's like how's the fish notes in water yeah uh, and so the more we understand these things the more agency and capacity we have to inform how we move forward and that includes how we're building our tools yeah um and so even though my soul is very much drawn to a kind of non-dual practice, uh, I think it's important that we're living in the, a Western world, at least in where I am in California, and that's important to, to recognize that. Yeah. So I'd love to shift gears a tiny bit and ask some more technical details about a couple of phrases you mentioned that I had never heard of before ultrasonic neuromodulation and photobiomodulation. Because um, I know I've heard of EDMR before, um, a kind of light technique to heal trauma that's pretty efficient for doing it quickly. Um, 
but I'd never heard of, uh, I don't know if that's part of photobiomodulation. I'm um, really curious what the spectrum of tools in uh, both of those using sound and light. Um, can you nut into a little bit more specifically what goes on there? Sure. So I'm definitely not an expert. I definitely bring a more of a, a, a philosophical side to this space. And so I'm not a techie. Mm -hmm. uh, the guy, Mikey Siegel, who founded Conscious Attacking around four years ago, uh, is really the, an engineer by heart and by art. Yeah, so he's probably better better placed to answer a question like this. But photobiomodulation, have you seen the, the juve light or red light therapy? I haven't yet, no. No, so red light therapy is being used to help a number of conditions. Uh, it can make your skin clearer. Uh, it helps boost mitochondrial function, which is really the, the powerhouse of the, the cell. Uh, and so what photobiomodulation can do for consciousness is that instead of putting it on the outside of your body, you can actually put uh, something intranasally so that red light shines up into certain parts of the brain. And also you can have it going into the skull. So it's really like, it's just a specific light spectrum that you can modulate given how strong you want it. And given the potency of the light leads to certain changes in uh, the, the activity of the brain. Why red? Did they mess with different wavelengths? and then kind of landed upon red as the one to use there? Yeah, I mean, like I emphasize, I'm not an expert, but mm -hmm. it's to do with the light spectrum. And, you know, like you get near infrared saunas, far infrared saunas, mm -hmm. and these have different um, therapeutic capacities. Uh, it's the same, the same thing with photobiomodulation for the brain. That's so yeah. fascinating. Yeah, so basically just light therapy. And this is, this is the real beauty here, is that I, I, I'm not a fan of, of you know, I, I think we are gonna, gonna move towards the understanding that wisdom traditions have had things all along around light and sound and movement, mm -hmm. like very basic human ecstatic or just basic procedures uh, to shift consciousness. We're just doing that, but we're amplifying its potency. Uh, and then to your point about ultrasonic neuromodulation, that's a really big word for saying, the guy's called Jay Sanguinetti, uh, who was the pioneer of this method. And the meditation teacher, Shinzen Young, who's had something like 40, 50 years of meditation experience, said this ultrasound was the most powerful intervention into this meditation practice he's ever had. And that's saying something about a renowned meditation teacher. Mm -hmm. And the very principle is it's, just like ultrasound, it's just ultrasound, and yet you target very low wave ultrasound, so it's very safe, onto a specific part of the brain, and that can shut down the narrative self for a prolonged period of time. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So people who are listening to this might say, okay, well, that could be dangerous, and it could be all these things, and 
what consciousness hacking you're trying to do is we're not necessarily saying we need to use these tools. We're saying, hey, like these tools are going to be built. Like how do we build them in a way that is most, that is from a place of like the most ethical and moral integrity uh, and safety possible? So that brings me to another thing I've been curious about is the um, the role of the very specific meetup that this is in shaping the business landscape of the development of these tools. For example, do you have some of the speakers looking at these from a consciousness perspective also kind of presenting at or having meetings with tech companies that are developing, for example, VR tools in general, or perhaps uh, machine intelligence that people, you know, the company might be mostly developing it to make money, um, whether that's through, you know, increasing marketing efficiency or what have you. Um, I'm curious if the meetup, the wisdom that happens at the meetups um, kind of cross-pollinates through the, um, yeah, the development of the tech tools and the, like, biology research, uh, either organically or overtly through the connections that are made at these meetups. So our dream is essentially to be influencing how the big boys uh, the, you know, the guys at Google, Facebook, YouTube are actually building their stuff. And funnily enough, a, a lady, uh, Ivy Ross, who's the head of hardware design at Google, was one of our speakers last year. And it really gives me hope that some of the people that I'm meeting in this space have very powerful positions in these very powerful companies. And they are asking and come at what feels like they're asking the right questions and coming from the right place. So I don't know if there's any explicit uh, cross-pollination as yet. We're still, you know, we're still, you know, we're still a pretty small organization um, in terms of uh, reach. But hopefully over time, people will start to see the importance that if we, if we don't embed conscious principles in our machines, like, we're doomed. Like it's not some sort of hippie fantasy. It's it's like technology is ubiquitous and exponential. And if we're scaling through tech, we better as hell be sure that we're scaling the right thing. Um, so if we do our jobs well, there will be cross pollinate cross pollination. Mm-hmm. As yet, it's pretty early days. This makes me wonder about the. Uh, I've just been nerding out about the potential of video technology for like international collaboration and uh, like rapid advancement of our awareness of these kinds of things. And it makes me like wonder about an online consciousness hacking meetup where, because it's like. It's just trippy how fast the technology is developing. Like once we have headsets or there's some kind of hardware developed where you can, you know, it's easy for you to purchase the tools to do the light therapy and have guidance from. So like we have the technological potential for like someone to guide a huge number of people through that process through video. Um, Just like thinking of using the technology tools that way rather than 
I don't know, like a, this is a silly caricature, but like an ego-based YouTube video that gets viral uh, likes or something. I'm really curious that that, that like juncture we're at with technology to mindfully use the scale of communication. It's like once at once scary and like we're seeing some of the political fallout of that, I think, for example. Um, and also yep. just the power of it is stunning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that's what really draws me towards this is it, it was this is a very basic hypothesis that Point one, the problems of the world are symptoms of a certain level of consciousness. Point two, if we want to change the world, we have to change consciousness. Point three, we need to change consciousness. We need to find ways to universally give access to higher states and stages of consciousness, not just people who can run off to do an ayahuasca ceremony in Peru, which is like the point zero zero one percent. Point four, technology has the capacity to scale in a way that other things do not. Point five, what if we scaled through technology consciousness? Yeah. Yeah, that's the big thesis. So I'm totally with you. It's at this juncture, like how are we, what are we doing with this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. I really want to offer to you guys, um, I know you're kind of transitioning leadership potentially and we're kind of early on and even just getting to know each other, but I really want to offer you guys the like connection with Bloom Network and any capacity I have to make the kind of um, like place-based and land-based connection to consciousness um, in terms of working with technology so that the... Um, yeah, as we as we clear these pathways and um, like heal our trauma and uh, increase our awareness and our, for example, even just you know awareness of the architectures of our mind or the biases that we have, and our capacity to connect with each other across different differing mm. belief structures and this kind of thing that we um, are mindful to bring that healing and love and state of connection in relationship with the, the plants and like the carbon cycle on the planet and that, that integration. Um, that's something personally I'm interested in is the, I guess, intersection of technology and our ability to be in balance with the planet right now. It's like my personal imperative from my body and my practice with mushrooms and to a lesser extent ayahuasca, for example, but just really want to offer any, um, yeah, just you know, like really curious to connect with you guys and see see what emerges from that. Because <laughs> I, um, I think that's related to, and I'm really curious to hear your perspective on this from Consciousness Hacking and also the masters that you're doing at CIIS, uh, is the relationship between individual consciousness hacking and the growth of i don't know what the word is like development of consciousness and the, the awareness capacities etc and how that intersects with society because i know one of the i would almost call it like a shadow thing perhaps and then the as a shortcut like new age 
tendency to like new age combined with perhaps a very particular kind of capitalism and the tendency to have a very eye focused and sometimes almost like exacerbated selfishness and cooperativeness kind of thing that can go like sideways when someone kind of starts exploring a spiritual path just because of the strong forces of commodification of that over like the past several decades, for example. Um, and I'm curious the, I think we've talked about this a little bit just in terms of the systemic like development of the technologies themselves, for example. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm curious the intersections of that, that personal practice of consciousness hacking and the yeah. potential of, societal skill consciousness hacking when we're able to look sure. at our kind of collective structures and patterns and mindsets and stuff yeah well so let me let me answer to your first point that you made was around you know coming together uh, around well, first of all yes to the invitation to come more together around r2 networks uh, especially this lens of you know you feeling the importance of the environment and uh, part one of this issue is that we Technology is engineering is a necessary but not sufficient condition for technology. The technological advancement is also contingent upon a hell of a lot of socioeconomic conditions that we tend to ignore. Uh, one of them being like global mass inequalities. So we just basically ship off all our cheap parts and make slave labor in Thailand and China, uh, but also contingent upon an extractive economy. Extractive being, we go into nature, we take resources out the ground, and we plug it into a new tool, which then gets thrown out and isn't able to be uh, integrated back into the natural ecosystem. That's a problem. I, I'm, I'm Scottish. I don't hold the uh, techno-utopianism of Californians. Uh, I love a lot of Californians because I think there's something fundamentally wrong with the way we're actually building our tools, which is from a place of linear uh, economics rather than circular. So I'm really glad you brought up like, the climate and the, the planet. We're, we need to start taking these things more into consideration as we're building our tools. Uh, the second point I'll make is that there's a spiritual bypassing that started with the, with the human potential movement of the 60s, which is really like, if you self-actualize, and it self-actualizes. And that's really, I think, an extension of the hero archetype, which is that the individual can go forth in life and society, and uh, that is the way to really to navigate life, um, at least aspirationally. The issue is, is that given the nature of complexity in our current times, we cannot, this archetype of the, of the individualistic hero is, is actually now, uh, it's maladive that we actually have to evolve from individual intelligence to collective intelligence given the nature and scale of the problems at hand. And Mikey, who I mentioned earlier, the, the founder, for example, he has a consciousness hacking tool that brings a group of 24 people into coherence through heartbeat and a skin galvanic response. So really, like, what if we build group tools that would enhance 
neurophysiological coherence that would then, and this is like guys like Jamie Wheel, Daniel Schmachtenberger, Jordan Greenhold, they speak about this much more eloquently than I do. What if we actually build tools that bring people into group coherence so that we might begin to evolve a collective form of intelligence that isn't individualistic? Are you with me? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so really like building out these tools, if you're just using them to get high on a non-dual experience, which is, by the way, is possible from these tools. I've experienced non-dual states of consciousness through hardware and software, mm-hmm. akin to that of a non-ordinary psychedelic experience. Uh, if you're just state, like, go ahead and do that. But that ain't going to change nothing. Like, that's going to change nothing. We have to evolve stages of consciousness, which is really like how you see the world, how you see other people, and bring together group intelligence. Yeah. Can you describe a little bit more what you mean about stages of consciousness? Um, I'm familiar with several you know, frameworks for that, but I'm curious uh, what you mean. So you, you've heard of integral theory and spiral dynamics? Yes. Okay, so for your listeners who may not be aware that models that really suggest go through certain stages of development so developmental psychology people go through different stages of development Uh, that is people go through egocentric stages it's all about me ethnocentric it's all about my tribe world centric and really what I think is cool is important that we actually evolve people from me to we from me to my tribe to all of us through these tools rather than just enhancing uh, what it feels like to be me Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of people when they think of consciousness hacking tools they think oh we're just going to change my day-to-day experience but what if i actually change your worldview so for example you can put someone in a virtual reality experience and show them coral reefs before they died, and then coral reefs as they are dying, and coral reefs once they have died, and then track how they then interact with recycling and the environment six months after that VR experience, a single experience. And interestingly enough, their energy expenditure goes massively down. They recycle much more. This is a study at Stanford in 2016. Just Mm -hmm. from a single experience of feeling and seeing what it's like for the environment to die. For me, that is a stage change of development. I'm saying, hey, I'm going to become a more earth conscious being rather than just thinking about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so fascinating the potential to use these, the in particular the technology tools, I guess, that have grown through the development of industrialization and um, extractive and variously like empire colonizing sorts of things to then like also have the capacity to connect us and to um yeah assist humanity through this transition toward a a healthy interconnected compassionate space well and, and you might say well why do we need these like why why can't we just appreciate nature like as it is like why do we need bloody tools to wake us up well and I thought that too. I, I went through a period of saying, like, F it all. Like, let's go back to this more archaic way of being. Let's go back into nature. 
the problem is the momentum is the momentum has started. Like either we get on this tech train or we don't. And if we're gonna if we're not if we're not gonna get on it, it's still going in this direction. And so my sense is we have to jump on this technology train and ensure that its momentum is guided toward wisdom. And it's just the way things are going. Are you planning to write after your master's? Because the way that you language things is so awesome. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm a pretty heady verbal dude, <laughs> often, to, often to my detriment. Um, I enjoy writing. Funnily enough, though, I, we're, we're in this liminal space of society, right? We're like, what comes next, right? And mm -hmm. I think this goes back to my earlier point about being culturally con contingent upon a Judeo-Christian kind of Greek mind is that we celebrate reason and rationality over and above any other sense-making mechanism, right? In the West. Now, reason seems to have reached its limit somewhat because we can't just have rational arguments to up into the way ahead. So really when, when I'm thinking about writing, like sometimes I try to like write out like a rational systematic analysis of what we have to do in order to move forward. And then there's another part of me who's, who's more poetic and is basically like, we need to almost relinquish that rationality or at least uh, integrate it with a different prose poetic way of seeing the world. Um, and so funny you mentioned that because I was thinking today, like if I'm, if I'm writing my dis a dissertation on societal collapse, like collapse dynamics, collapse. Wow. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I can give it like a rational comprehensive analysis of this, or is there a way of communicating that goes beyond rationality? Um, like the artist. Uh, yeah. How are so, you doing? That's a heavy dissertation to write. How are you doing emotionally? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Emotionally, uh, I feel like um, this is the the chasm that we're in the midst of, right? We're we're on the edge of either evolve or extinct, evolutionary extinction, and uh, yeah, I have definitely integrated somewhat the grief of climate change i don't think we can stop it uh, i don't think that our tools are sufficient to save everyone i think i actually think billions of people are going to die and we have to find a way of not necessarily preventing but rather adapting but that's a whole different rabbit hole uh, <laughs> that we could go down yeah I, I don't think it's a case of uh, of save. I think it's a case of do we not do we save billions of people, but do we save the species? Um, and I think the way we use technology is really going to determine whether or not that that will happen. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, the moonshot we've been going for with Bloom Network is can we connect people to the regenerative, restorative, resilience, like buffer tools uh, in terms of 
food and um i mean that that's a big one but uh, um conflict tools for example as well um mm. and cultural mm. things quickly enough to mitigate some of that death and what is your, suffering what is what is your sense do you think that we can I don't know that I put a lot of sense or thought energy into asking that other than feeling the imperative, like it's the best use of my capacity as a, um, maybe like a visionary storyteller and technologist of sorts um, to try. Um, and like when I run through all the rabbit holes and scenarios in my head of, you know, complete extinction, you know, various kinds of violent scenarios to utop various utopic futures, it, in any one of them, the best thing that I as a person can do is like mm. try for this. So that eliminates like you need to think about the other stuff. <laughs> it kind of makes it easy. Um, but I think for each person, it's kind of their own. Um, Yes, synthesis and placement. I mean, that's maybe like a privileged place to be, to have the capacity to even consider that rather than just, you know, a lot of people are having to flee giant disaster zones like at an mm. increasing pace right now. Um, so, th yeah, that's just, I guess, my where where I am at in the current yeah. like, multidimensional ecology of the situation. Yeah, it's a tough one, uh, and also we need to. I think, uh, you know, I don't mean this in a metaphysical way, but what we articulate, we tend to uh, uh, fulfill. And so, if all we're doing is like articulating disaster scenarios without a conjunct, without a conjunctive, uh, look what society and reality could be then we're just stuck in hopelessness and despair. I think it has to be both. Yeah, we have problems, but we can also create a more beautiful, regenerative world. Uh, but we're going to have to go through some pain first. This has been a, beyond my expectations, a beautiful and fascinating exploration of the question I wrote down to ask you during this interview, which was, the role of consciousness hacking in the transition of civilization. <laughs> mm, that's my bread and butter. This is exactly what I'm thinking. Uh, yeah, well, on, on that very point, um, a lot of the problem with this is going to be, like, how do we distribute these tools? Uh, how do we give people access? And that's, uh, you know, there's, is, are these like conscious stacking tools just going to be for the 1%? And is that enough? Is a top-down, trickle-down effect enough if you've got everyone in the United Nations wearing VR headsets to enhance empathy? Uh, or does it have to be a more kind of universally ubiquitous movement in which everybody has tools that, for, can, for example, help them heal their trauma? That remains to be seen. I feel like you know this already i mean it's like the the center of the the intersections you're bringing together at your conference coming up for example but um a way i would look at it too 
especially the more I um, learn from Shipibo people, which for some reason I've kind of become connected with elders in that culture. And myself having explored different psychedelic substances, different, I want to say like aberrant states of consciousness just through like my own natural neurobiology in my early 20s and exploring technology and going deep into learning different kinds of trauma healing and connection tools. Um, I think that there are multiple pathways to these states of being. Obviously, I mean, you've been talking about that. For But for example, one thing I've thought about is, you know, there's one thing with having the United Nations with VR headsets on, and then there's a parallel, maybe not as effective, maybe squishier technology, but overlapping would be um, like singing together, for example, tends to synchronize people's heartbeats. And we have these, for example, like government structures that have grown in very rationalistic ways and, you know, very debate and um, uh, legal structures that we've created over time that people are adherent to and business relationships and all these sorts of things. But that very simple thing of just singing together can achieve that. So I think there's some, um, I guess, like the word cross-pollination comes to mind again of access to technology tools, access to the psychedelic medicines and decriminalizing those internationally and also utilizing the technology to make sure people have information so that they, as they use those substances, they don't end up in the me, me, me pathway or like mm. lost in interdimensional travel, which sometimes happens for people or however you conceptualize mm-hmm. that or yeah. I'm up against the trauma that they have from early in life and they don't have someone who can recognize that that's why they're going into a bad trip and they can't like get through that that place because they maybe don't recognize or able to to pinpoint where that's coming from or have the tools to you know heal that blockage and and move on into blossoming so the i mean i think you're already doing that cross-pollination of of access through the different tools we have to yeah be in these places anyone anyone who says that my way is the way you know is not delivering sufficient introspection on the problems at hand. We need it all. We need it all. Um, Yeah, and I think that's part of the problem with the climate change debate, that it's all moved towards, so long as we can start sucking carbon out of the atmosphere, we'll be fine. But really, that's such a reductionist approach to a systemic, complex issue that there's so many other factors at hand but um yeah so what, what i'm 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 uh, agreeing with is that we need we need them all we need many many approaches This is just a, a, I don't know, I just don't even know where to go. It's like, this seems to like have wrapped up that big, like middle part of our conversation and giving people probably a lot to chew on and explore and sit within their hearts and minds. Um, 
Uh, one thing that I saw when reading uh, the people who were speaking at the Awakened Future Summit coming up in May in San Francisco is the, the idea that there are therapeutic video games. And I have a vague sense there's a big spectrum of those from treating ADHD to teaching people mindfulness to possibly even dealing with trauma. Um, is that, do you know about that spectrum of consciousness hacking tools in particular? And can you give a few examples of the kinds of therapeutic video games that are there? Yeah, so I, I want to direct people towards Adam Gazeli, G-A-Z-Z-A-L-E-Y. And he had the cover story of nature i think it was back in 20, 2013 uh, which basically showed that uh, older adults i i think people in their 70s who played certain video games uh, could improve their cognitive capacities to that of a 20 year old in a very short period of time so he will be giving our keynote and Part of it's to do with learning. That, for example, do you know how many uh, items you can know in the short term? It's like seven plus or minus two. Have you heard that before? How many bits of information you can retain? Uh, maybe. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's this. It's this old adage: you can hold seven plus or minus two uh, bits of information in your short-term memory. Uh, with that's if you write them down or if you, but if you actually map them in visual space, you can actually learn up to like 10,000 different things. So really, if you're trying, if you're learning in VR, you're, and this is one of the principles of this, is if you're learning in VR, you're learning in this spatio, spatial, spatial matrix that gives much, uh, increases your cognitive capacities for retention. And yeah, there, that's that's one vector of how this stuff might work. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's cool. Like palace of but, uh, memory, kind of oral. Yeah, palace of memory. Like exactly. Yeah. Learn huge chunks of information like way back when they were storytellers and stuff. Exactly. Yeah, but I encourage people to look at Adam's Adam's work. That's awesome. And then when you're using like the light therapy and audio tools, those aren't like a video game you go into. It's like you connect those things and do them. There's not some kind of interface that's a software interface or something that, that the user engages with. No. And at the same time, stacking protocols is what's going to give us nonlinear synergistic results, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so. I think what's going to happen is people are going to start saying, hey, what if we use photobiomodulation with a certain soundscape with, yeah, add fill in the blank. And that's going to give rise to results that we, stacking results, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be really trippy to see once, say some like major politician like goes into the consciousness hacking rabbit hole and experiences those tools and then like has those capacities like installed in his being and is like interacting with the people around him <laughs> and yeah, like exactly. turn, also turns them on to it or otherwise just kind of like transmits the openness. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so that bring it to politicians. It just gave, gave me a, an idea. Like a lot of people might think, well, why would 
like don't be so naive to think that, that, that people in power will actually use these things. Like, what are you talking about? Everyone's out for themselves, yada, yada, yada. But so there's a very basic assumption here, which is Buddhist, which is that every being would like to reduce its own suffering. And so if you just have that as a basic assumption, that if we build tools that can reduce suffering, then the likelihood that people will be drawn towards them is high. Uh, yeah, I wanted to throw that one in there. Did you lose me? Um, I think that I don't understand the word you're saying with your accent. Hi, H-I-G-H? <laughs> yeah, it's my... I, I actually tried to order a bulletproof coffee in Whole Foods this morning, <laughs> and it was literally like I was talking Mandarin Chinese. Like, they were like, bulletproof? Bulletproof? Coffee? I was like, no, no, I was, trying to say, I was trying to say the word medium, and they're like, media? Media? Like, no, medium. Oh, medium. Yeah, yeah. I have problems here. Yeah. That is what you said, though, with high. H-I-G-H. High. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> it's beautiful. I am, I'm glad to know you're from Scotland. I was thinking somewhere over there, but I wasn't sure where. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I really, really, really want to visit that part of the world someday. Just, the, the, just walk around on the hills there. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful place. How are you feeling about wrapping up this conversation soon? Is there anything else you would like to say by way of encouraging people to check out the conference or consciousness hacking or any other uh, parting words that you'd like to share? Well, first of all, thank you for the, the hosting and the questions and your level of um, listening and uh, I suppose depth and breadth of knowledge and curiosity. Um, it's been I've really enjoyed this. Uh, the thing that I'll say to um, people who are listening and who do get a, a sense that they might want to explore this stuff further is the conference is on May 18th, May 19th at UCSF Mission Bay. Uh, it's not going to be a standard conference of somebody just lecturing and us all listening. It's going to be a bit of an experiment in group intelligence. So it's going to be highly interactive, a lot of group discussion and a lot of intimate discussions with the speakers themselves. So there's gonna be lunch discussions with speakers, breakout discussions with speakers. Uh, so yeah, it's gonna be both content and context uh, different than a normal conference. Mm -hmm. So if it tickles your fancy, come along, come say hi. I'd love to see you there. And, and then, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, that's, 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 that's the call. That's the call to action for listeners. And then for folks who live in other cities that might not fly all the way there, where else do you have consciousness hacking meetups happening so far? So you go to our website, cohack.life, which is a little outdated, but we're in the middle of a rebrand, so uh, be patient. And we have them all over, really. Uh, you can see all our chapters on our website. So London and... Berlin, LA, San Diego, Hawaii. And if someone would be interested in starting a chapter, is there a pathway for doing that? Sure. If you fancy starting a chapter at the intersection of consciousness and tech, uh, email. You can go into the website and there's a, a, a section that says start a chapter. Uh, and if you could email kim at cohack.life and 
get something going, then yeah, we're we're all ears, all ears. Like I said, Tokyo just set up, and they're having their first meeting in two weeks, I think. So. Sweet. I just got a, a visual of what you said of all ears, like of consciousness, like all ears covering consciousness and listening from that place. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. And thank you. Thanks for your time and for reaching out. And I look forward to meeting you in person at the conference. Likewise, Joshua. <clears throat> thank you so, so much for this beautiful conversation and the epic community that you've been creating from the place places of consciousness that you are big respect to you and your crew and uh excited to connect more with the consciousness hacking community thank you yeah big time me too all the best ciao